Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Avinola is a small batch gourmet granola that's made with grain and gluten-free ingredients. It's made from ancient lupini beans, which are filled with fiber and tons of plant protein. It's less than one gram of sugar and only 95 calories per serving. It's a zero guilt snack that checks all the boxes and loads of fiber to keep you feeling full. So Emma, what's your favorite part of Avinola? Well, obviously y'all already know I love the chocolate, but the coconut almond vanilla is also very, very good. Um, Besides just eating it straight out of the bag because it's that delicious, I love to make like a Greek yogurt bowl, bunch of avinola, honey, berries, macadamia nuts, maybe some pecans. I don't know, whatever my little heart is feeling. But that is my favorite way to enjoy avinola. And I especially love this company and this brand because A, it's a small business and B, it is women owned and created. We absolutely love Maggie. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to her episode. But you guys can use discount code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your order of Avinola. So code PILOTSPANDEMIC. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hey guys, what's up? And this week we are joined with a special guest, Bart Johnson. Thank you so much, Bart, for joining us. Oh, thanks. So Bart has a really interesting story, which we are going to get into today, but As you all probably know by this point, we always ask all of our guests at the top, Bart, how did you get into aviation? Well, I'm not into uh, aviation. Uh, uh, Really, I could never get a medical uh, uh, certificate. And, um, uh, you know, I'm an electrical engineer. I think it's a great profession. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very happy to be uh, doing that. Um, you know, technical people often get into aviation, and my father was a PB2Y pilot out of uh, uh, Saipan in the Pacific in, during World War II. The PB2Y, it's called the Coronado. It's a four-engine flying boat. It's a very big, big uh, airplane, and, uh, you know, just a di- dozen miles away was the island of Tinian, and the, the largest air, air base of the uh, war was in Tinian, and the B-29 bombers, it would go out and firebomb uh, uh, Japan, flew out of there. It was like a 1500 mile uh, 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 trip and they, they were flying almost uh, uh, constantly. And also the atomic bomb flew out of, uh, of Tinian. And so I, I kind of marvel that my father was at the center of, you know, one of the, uh, the biggest events of uh, 20th century uh, history, you know, the, the atomic bombing, not that he was involved in it in any way really, uh, but that, you know, he was, physically there, just a dozen miles away. And later he went on, on to uh, study electrical engineering at the University of Minnesota on the GI Bill. And then it was recalled during the Korean War and he flew the uh, P2V uh, Neptune out of Alaska. 
And so that's one side of the family. The other side, my on my on my mother's side, my uncle was a B-24 bomber pilot. And uh, his plane was uh, was shot down and he spent the rest of the war as a POW in, in Germany. And so, uh, you know, flying was was kind of in the in the family and there was always kind of a lot of interest in it. I'm 66 years old and I grew up in the 60s. And, uh, uh, you know, World War II wasn't ancient history then. It was only like 15 or 20 years, uh, you know, previous. And, you know, I would look through the World Book Encyclopedia and look at all the fighters and bombers from uh, uh, World War II and knew their names and what they uh, looked like and, and whatever. I, I kind of got bored at the, uh, at, the, at the jets. I'm kind of an old school uh, flying uh, guy. I, for some reason, had, had really no interest in jets. Not that there were that many in the, uh, the 60s there, but I'm interested in you know, flying boats because of my uh, father's uh, experience. And I'm interested in... Uh, one trip in the uh, Pan American Airways, uh, you know, Pan American, they were the first people to transit uh, across the uh, Pacific using flying boats. And trip kind of created the modern airline. He, he pushed aircraft manufacturers to the limits of what is possible. And he was the one that uh, pushed Boeing into building the uh, 747. Uh, you know, so I'm kind of old school. I got all these romantic notions about flying, especially uh, flying boats. And uh, I, uh, you know, I just wanted to take part somehow. I wanted to learn uh, more about it. I never wanted to be a, uh, a professional pilot or an airline pilot or anything. I just wanted to be a private, you know, uh, uh, weekend uh, pilot. Uh, so that's, that's why I'm interested in it. Well, I think it's interesting that you have this like really long lineage of aviation and the history surrounding that is super, super neat. So thank you for telling us about that. Okay. Yeah, Bert. So I know that your family had a huge, um, it, how do you say, like they were just a big influence on your life in aviation as you were explaining it. Um, so I know that from what we've talked about, when you got into kind of the aviation world because of your family, there you had kind of a, a dream career and you weren't able to pursue that career, as I understand. So can you explain why you weren't able to pursue like an aviation career? Well, I, I, it wasn't a career that I was interested in. I just wanted to be a... Uh, uh, private pilot. You know, I wanted to uh, learn aviation. I, did, I only wanted to fly a single engine air, airplane. You know, I wanted to have, have the experience of, uh, you know, doing that first uh, solo flight. I wanted to have the experience of, of you know, having a good feel for the, uh, for, for, for the machine and, you know, to confidently uh, handle it. Uh, you know, I've been on a, a, a few training of uh, flights, and, uh, you know, of, uh, felt, you know, kind of inept and, and like, you know, I, I, I don't in, intuitively, uh, don't have an intuitive feel for the controls and I'd like to uh, have that. Uh, but, you know, as far as careers go, I have the career that I want. I've got a satisfying career as a uh, electrical engineer or a laser engineer, as I, uh, uh, I say. And, um, you know, I Spend most of my my week pursuing that, and and, and a lot of, a lot of time on the, on the weekends too. You know, I do have a few hobbies, and in the past uh, few years, you know, my hobby 
has been uh, writing and uh, promoting this book uh, can't be trusted. And, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a memoir. It's about engineering, aviation, and uh, mental health, and also about FAA uh, 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 policies. And now if uh, uh, somebody actually uh, read, the, read the book, they might agree that uh, I have no business uh, flying airplanes, and, which, is, which is fine. But I think that FAA mental health policy is uh, an interesting subject in itself and something worth uh, uh, writing about. You know, my particular case is uh, discussed in the um, in Appendix A. And, uh, you know, there's kind of the back and forth of letters between myself and the FAA and my uh, doctors. And uh, it shows how sausage is made at, at the FAA. It's not always all that uh, uh, that appetizing, you know. Uh, on one, one level, you can talk about uh, FAA uh, policy and what's permitted and, and, and what's not. But on, on, on another level, you can talk about, you know, how is, a, how is a, an actual case handled? And, uh, you know, my, my contention is that this case was handled uh, uh, very poorly. You know, whether you, you, you believe that denial is justified or not, and, and that's for the uh, reader to decide uh, uh, for themselves. But, uh, you know, I think their diagnosis of schizophrenia by the FAA was unethical, and I think that uh, the Yale University consultants that they, uh, they uh, used to look at the case, um, uh, you know, didn't do their job. Uh, so so uh, anyway, you know, I didn't have a, a, a career in mind. I, I, I've got a, a career as an electrical engineer, but, uh, but, but I do want to fly airplanes. And I do have this uh, history with my uh, family that uh, makes me uh, interested in it. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of fascinated by the whole thing. So uh, I guess that's my answer to your question. Well, real quick, just a question for you. Because you were talking about how you got diagnosed with schizophrenia, and that's kind of the reason why you were not able to hold a medical and also why you have this, this book can't be trusted um, and why you talk about the FAA in there. But was it ever, like if you were not di diagnosed with schizophrenia or had any mental health struggles, would you actually have pursued the career of flight? No, just as a private uh, uh, um pilot uh, you know when i was in high school i was very interested in in, in uh, mathematics and uh, uh, science and uh, computers and and that carried on at uh, at the uh, the university uh, you know i never had any um um questions about what what path i would take you know a lot of a lot of uh, young people kind of wring their hands and they they don't know what to do with their their lives and and whatever i never had any of that is is that uh, you know I studied electrical engineering and then I got into the more uh, you know physicsy uh, parts of electrical engineering and then finally got into uh, uh, lasers in uh, in uh, graduate school and uh, uh, so you know I, I I I've got the career that I want and, and I, I'm uh, very lucky and very happy uh, to be doing that but you know on the side I also wanted this experience of uh, of aviation, you know, for the reasons I I was uh, uh, was was saying, you know, I never wanted to be an airline uh, pilot, or uh, you know, never really wanted to be a, a military pilot either. 
what was like when so when you went so I'm assuming you kind of were taking the steps to get your third class medical when did you realize or when was it that they notified you of their diagnosis like what led to the diagnosis well the um so I had been uh, been uh, hospitalized, and after that, I decided that well, I should branch out a little bit in my uh, my life, and you know, do do some things out of out of work. And uh, you know, I decided I'd take up uh, uh, flying, and so I started taking uh, uh, flying lessons, and uh, you know, maybe got ten hours into it, and the guy said, "Well, you know, you're going to be ready to do a solo soon. You better get your medical." And I had no idea that uh, you needed a medical certificate to, to do this. And then, uh, so then I start filling out the form and it says about, about mental health history. And, uh, you know, I realized that I was in trouble at that point because I had to check the, uh, the box. And uh, now uh, I'd like to say that, that you know, you should, I encourage people to, uh, to check the box because, you know, the fine uh, for, for not doing that is up to... Uh, $250,000 and five years in jail. You know, that's what it says on the uh, the medical law uh, form. So they got a lot of uh, leverage over you. So I, I don't encourage people to uh, uh, break the the law. Although I must say that uh, that uh, many pilots do don't reveal this, this uh, kind of information. And uh, many pilots do not get treated because they would have to uh, uh, check the box. And that's you know one of the foreseeable uh, problems with with uh, FAA uh, policy is is that it pushes pushes people in these these uh, directions. Now you know doing these things is illegal, of course, but uh, you know still you know the the, the push is is there but uh anyway i had no idea that you needed a uh, a medical but but that but uh uh and and then they send me a um uh a uh a notice that uh, i should get back to them uh, once i'm stable and off uh, medication and then uh some time went by because i ended up moving to uh st louis and then I pursued it in St. Louis. I got to got a doctor there, and uh, uh, we we sent in all the forms they they uh, they requested. They requested all of my medical records, which you know included the hospital records and and uh, you know just everyday psychiatrist uh, records. And then they come came back with this uh, diagnosis of uh, schizophrenia. What was it like when that when they gave you that diagnosis? Like, what were the feelings that kind of came over you? The realization, A, that they've given you this diagnosis and B, that you weren't really going to be able to seek out, you know, a private pilot's license or reach this hobby that you've been kind of wanting to work towards? Well, um, I wasn't surprised by the uh, the uh, denial, uh, given the way that the public feels about uh, mental illness, uh, so that that wasn't a uh, surprise. But the 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 uh, diagnosis of schizophrenia was it was a uh, big surprise. And can I use the uh, the word pissed on a podcast? Uh, 
Yes, <laughs> we have the mouth of sailors over here. This is an explic podcast, so yes, you can definitely say pissed. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Well, that, that was 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 uh, my feeling, and the reason for it is is that they they were they were playing this uh, this game with uh, psychiatric uh, standards. Is they were saying, you know, my doctor said that your diagnosis is DSM three R. Um, depression with psychotic features. Now, that's not a good uh, diagnosis, uh, certainly. And they could have, you know, just left it at that and, and sa said that, uh, well, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's disqualifying because it's a psychosis. You know, they could have left it at, at that, but they chose to uh, relabel it with a, um, a schizophrenia uh, definition using pre-DSM-3 uh, standards. So back in the uh, the 60s, there were these, you know, DSM-1 and 2 uh, uh, standards, which were kind of, you know, Freudian, based on, on kind of Freudian ideas, you know, very kind of discredited ideas and, and, and kind of the definition of schizophrenia changed. And so I felt they were relabeling uh, my diagnosis to schizophrenia because of the stigma. In that case, the stigma works for them. And, um, uh, you know, so that's, that's why I got kind of hot under the collar uh, with them is, is that, uh, you know, I felt the, the, the diagnosis was, uh, you know, it was stigmatic. It was defamatory, uh, incorrect. Uh, uh, I, th I think, and, uh, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm an honest, uh, you know, I'm a taxpayer and I'm an honest person. I gave them all of the documentation that they wanted. I checked the box on, on the, the form. I wasn't covering up anything. And then they, they do this uh, kind of thing to me. And so, you know, I, I, I'm not all that embarrassed, uh, really. I think that they should be more embarrassed uh, than I am. Uh, uh, frankly, and I just wanted to tell my story. So that's kind of what the book is about. I think um, how you explained that was really good about, like, you want people to tell the truth and then there you know why they don't tell the truth, but also in you telling the truth and being very upfront with everything that's been going on, you still were denied and you also didn't agree with the diagnosis that they gave you. Um, and if I remember correctly, you were diagnosed by the same um, psychiatrist or psychologist that diagnosed Bob Hoover, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, uh, this this guy was was one that said Bob Hoover was mentally impaired, and certainly, and then he had backup from uh, uh, from quote independent unquote. Uh, uh, doctors, but you know these. Uh, the, the FAA has these, uh, you know, consultant doctors um, that that will rubber stamp anything they they said. And so it's it's kind of it's kind of strange that uh, you need a a, a consultant, and, and, but the purpose of the consultant is to uh, you know rubber stamp everything you say. So what's the purpose of of getting a quote independent uh, unquote uh, uh, opinion and I had the same 
issue with with uh, mine. A, uh, a doctor at Yale University came after me, and and uh, he, he was kind of uh, cagey, but he certainly uh, made it clear that schizophrenia was a uh, a possibility in my case. And this was a very prominent doctor as well. So when you got your diagnosis and you knew you felt it wasn't correct, um, what were some of the steps that you took to try to overturn that initial diagnosis given to you? Well, I, I didn't think that I would ever be able to uh, over overturn it. Now, I, you know, I did a lot of uh, reading about uh, um, aviation law and the uh, National Transportation the Safety Board. You know, the NTSB has their own uh, court system and you can get these cases heard before an administrative uh, uh, law judge. Uh, but the NTSB hardly ever overturns a, uh, or, or the administration, uh, administrative law judges hardly ever overturn a uh, FAA ruling. And if they uh, do, the FAA will uh, appeal the case to the full uh, National Transportation Safety Board. And they, you know, kind of uh, usually uh, uh, side with, with the FAA as well. And, and so there's kind of two steps there where, uh, where it's very uh, biased towards the FAA. And, and the other thing is that there's this concept of specifically disqualifying uh, diagnoses. And, you know, psychosis is one, bipolar disorder is one, you know, uh, myocardial infarction is uh, one, uh, insulin-dependent diabetes is, is one. These are specifically disqualifying disorders. And so if you have to, if you have one of those orders, you can't say, well, I'm fine. And these FAA doctors, uh, you know, don't know what they're, uh, they're talking about in court. Uh, they will always rule with the FAA because you have this specifically disqualifying uh, condition. It's, it's, you, can't, you can't go to court and, and, and say, well, I'm fine. You know, they'll, they'll, they will say, you've got a specifically disqualifying condition. It doesn't matter if you're fine. It's what the FAA says. And so, uh, you know, the FAA has a lot of uh, leverage legally. And so you can't, you can't really, uh, really uh, uh, fight them. It's, it's, uh, 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 so, you know, I, I didn't go, go that route, but, uh, uh, Anyway, I, you know, I, I knew that I was was done basically, but I was still, as I say, you know, I used that uh, sailor uh, term earlier, and um, so I sent a letter to the uh, the federal air surgeon, and was you know talking about the standards they use for diagnosis and the uh, you know, you know and how they were using this these Freudian you know diagnostic standards from the uh, the sixties. And then they sent their opinion off to Yale University and a Yale University doctor, he kind of attacked me personally, I would say. And he defended the use of uh, pre-DSM-3 uh, standards for schizophrenia. And so there's some sort of a backstory here that I want to know. Why did they, they do this? You know, as I said, um, you know, my doctor said it was depression with psychotic features. That's, uh, you know, a psychosis and thus uh, disqualified by uh, regulation. They can do whatever they want. Why didn't they leave it uh, at that? 
why did they uh, go through this schizophrenia ruse? Why did you know, your university back them up? And I think that that I I, I don't think that this this is a good way to handle these cases because for for one thing, you know, I don't have schizophrenia, and they 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 don't look good. You know, I think that this episode discredits the FAA, it discredits Yale University, and it discredits the uh, doctors involved. And uh, uh, and I feel like the schizophrenia diagnosis. You know, the whole whole point there is is stigma. You know, they 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 kind of decry stigma. We have to reduce uh, stigma in whatever. But the the people who wield stigma the most uh, forcefully are actually these doctors themselves that, you know, on other days would uh, deprive the use of stigma, but they, they uh, use it themselves. They wield it uh, themselves. And you can read these letters in the appendix A of, uh, uh, of my uh, book and you can think what you, uh, you want of me or them or uh, uh, whatever. But I, I would hope that people would, would look in, into it. You know, my goal is to have Every psychiatrist in, in America under, uh, understand this uh, this uh, dispute here because I don't think it's good for psychiatry. I don't think it's good for the FAA. It's not good for Yale University, uh, and it's not good for pilots, uh, frankly. Uh, so, so anyway, I, I don't know. Does that to answer your question? Definitely answers a lot of the ones that I had. I know this is Maddie's question, but I have so many thoughts. Yeah, I, I definitely do too, um, Emma. I think we can both attest to the, the doctor. The, uh, we could like to call it a circle jerk part. It's probably not, <laughs> not is that, the is that greatest. A term? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. We call it a circle jerk because it seems like that is still going on. It's not only happened to you, but to many other pilots. And the big thing is that we want the FAA to kind of take their hands, their claws out of pilots' medicals um, and not refer them to their own FAA doctors. Because like you said, it seems counterintuitive to send someone to a doctor to just reiterate what they already want them to say. Like that's the whole point of sending them because they just want that answer to come right back to them. They don't want anyone to discredit them and, and what they say. Um, so I definitely think that's a big problem with the whole aeromedical system is that it is such a big circle jerk and that they it's more like you pat my back and I'll pat yours. Um, and it doesn't really help pilots in any way. Airfare, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They've sourced more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy, unique, and have a long shelf life. And they're perfect for keeping you feeling great on, in the flight deck. 
our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code pilots podcast at checkout. So go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more. Again, that's airfarepouch.com to use our code pilots podcast for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks. Okay, so um, many of our listeners are probably struggling with their mental health in some way, at least some of them I know are. So our goal is always kind of like push for help for them. So what does help look like for someone who is struggling? And like, what did that look like for you? Well, uh, I, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this this uh, question in the in the uh, the, the medical uh, context, and uh, I, I think that uh, you know, a pilot needs to get legal help before they even talk to a psychiatrist. And um, you know, like I said, they need a doctor that's experienced in the air medical system and its uh, pitfalls, and 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 and. You, you, Got to have somebody that won't, you know, uh, treat you in a way that's uh, disqualifying. You know, like if they suggest ECT, uh, you know, electroconvulsive therapy, uh, you shouldn't go there because it's uh, it's disqualifying. And, and certainly, certainly, uh, somebody experienced in their medical system would would know that and would never suggest it. And uh, you have to understand that it's it, you know. It, you can't go to any old uh, pill mill uh, psychiatrist. You know, it'll be expensive. You, you, these are specialized uh, people. Your insurance won't cover it. And, uh, you know, the record keeping is uh, uh, important. And now, now, one of the problems is, is uh, you know, especially if you go into the hospital, the anecdotal information in your uh, records is going to uh, kill you. And... Um, you know, so it, it may be, you know, anecdotal information, you know, little stories and, and uh, uh, what whatnot about your behavior and whatever will be more important than your diagnosis and, and, and prognosis, prognosis. And so your family and friends should not talk to the, uh, the doctor because they just kind of add color to the uh, 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 your records. And, um, uh, you know, if you can manage it, no... Uh, uh, medication, or, or at worst, uh, uh, one of the four approved SSRIs, and then recover and taper off. Otherwise, you'll, you're going to need a special issuance. It's going to be a lot of time and trouble and expense. And, and as I said before, it interferes with the doctor-patient uh, relationship. And I don't, you know, recommend the the SSRI special issuance uh, path. And, and there's some very interesting statistics there. You know. These SSRI special issuances aren't granted all that often. And the interesting thing is that airline pilots are granted uh, these special issuances far more often than third-class pilots. And you would think it would be the reverse. So the, the 2018 numbers for first-class pilots are 70, 57% are granted and uh, only 26% for third-class uh, pilots. And so... You know, that's kind of uh, 
uh, backwards. And, and I suspect the reason is that airline pilots get much better legal advice, you know, through pilot support groups and the, and the like. And they also have more financial resources to apply to the problem. You know, after all, they're, uh, they're being paid to uh, uh, fly, uh, you know, on a cost benefit basis. It makes sense uh, for them to push it to the limits. And yeah. um, but but I think something should be done about this situation for third class pilots. Like I say, it's backwards, and I don't think that the FAA's heart is in the program, and they're they're resisting it. And like I said, they're they're scared people. They're scared of uh, making a, a mistake. I almost feel sorry for them for you know being in this this uh, um, business and 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 uh, you know foisting. Uh, uh, this kind of thing on uh, the aviation community. You know, what do you hope to accomplish with your book and with your story? I know you've kind of said that, but I just want to reiterate that for our listeners and also just give yourself like another plug. Okay, well, it's kind of a niche book. I, I, it's not for everybody. You know, there's a lot of technical uh, content about computers and electrical engineering and lasers and and, and whatnot, but uh, you know, if you're interested in the aeromedical parts, read that, or my family background, or psychiatry. There's a chapter on that. Uh, aviation suicides in the German wings incident. There's a chapter on that. You know, read those those parts. Don't get uh, bogged down in it. And you know, I blow my own horn a little bit in the book and talk about my education and jobs, including a PhD from MIT and a position at uh, Bell Laboratories. And I've never been out of work, and I have a marriage of almost 40 years and two children. And, you know, is that the profile of someone with schizophrenia? You know, the FAA and Yale University thought so. And so I'm, you know, complaining about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, fortunately, I got to uh, be a little bit boastful uh, to do it. And, um, but there is a group of leaders I'd like to connect with. You know, I read these uh, computer nerd uh, websites, you know, called Slashdot and uh, Hacker News. And, uh, you know, they list a, a links to a bunch of uh, stories on, on the internet. And very often they vote up mental health stories, you know, even though it's a computer nerd uh, content mostly, mostly. And so, you know, technical people are very interested in, in mental health. And if I could just reach that audience, I think they would enjoy the book, you know, technical parts and all. And, uh, you know, the other thing is uh, I'm trying to send a message to the forensic psychiatry uh, community. You know, it, it's, it's, it's remunerative uh, to tire and feather people with words like schizophrenia. You know, in my case, I think it's unwarranted and unethical and uh, defamatory. You know, from my way of thinking, the, the word is pure, distilled, 200-proof stigma. And, you know, they should act as that medical experts and not as advocates, you know, like you would expect from a lawyer. Uh, now, you know, Yale University acted as an advocate for the diagnosis of schizophrenia while not consulting relevant primary information. You know, for, forensic psychiatrist needs to be careful in the practice of, and practice due diligence when labeling people, at least in my opinion, you know, it didn't seem to be uh, the practice here. And, uh, you know, there's this idea that psychiatry is all opinion, no, no fact. You know, if, if that's the standard, your forensic psychiatrist can say anything they want without backing it up, they, just because they, quote, feel, uh, unquote, that way. And so those are my goals in, in uh, uh, writing the book. 
Um, I gotcha. Uh, well, 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 let me let me let me say one 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 further thing here. Yeah, you know, I, I um, uh, the book, um, uh, you know, sales are not not good. I, in, in some sense, I'm not accomplishing much. But uh, you know, I'm optimistic anyway. And I thank you guys for the opportunity to speak in your uh, forum. And um, you know, I'd like like I said before, I'd like every psychiatrist in the, the country to be familiar with this this story. And I've been spamming book notices to over four thousand academic psychiatrists and uh, psychologists. I wrote a blog for manamerica.com on aviation psychiatry, and I've spoken to the program in psychiatry and the law at Harvard on the same subject. And in October, I'm going to the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law meeting in uh, New Orleans. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm trying to get uh, word around. I, I'm not sure I've uh, been uh, 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 very uh, uh, successful. And fortunately, uh, you know, these uh, forensic psychiatrists, uh, you know, have been good sports in that I'm critical of forensic psychiatry, or at least a few of the uh, practitioners. And I'm interested in going to this this meeting in October because I'm I'm kind of curious whether they think I have a legitimate gripe, or whether they'll just dismiss me as a crank. Uh, so so that that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the book and the the whole kind of uh, project here. You know I, I hope that it's uh, you know over with in uh, uh, you know the next year or so. Because um, this this hobby is is kind of uh, running its course. But maybe not. Maybe I'll do more. Where can um, our listeners connect with you? Uh, well, I've got an email address. It's bart at can'tbetrusted.org. Uh, that's my email address. That's that's can't be trusted, one word without an apostrophe. And there's also a, a website, can'tbetrusted.org. And uh, my book is on amazon.com. Again, Bart, thank you for joining us. Um, listeners, if you all could please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It really does help us spread our message to people who might need to hear it. Again, I always just want to reiterate, please sign, share um, the petition, write Congress. All of that is on our Instagram. Everything is linked in the show notes. So no excuses, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. As always, keep the blue side up and the brown side down.